Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone. Welcome again. It's the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Mr. Nielsen-Tree. A lot has been said about unemployment, but on the show today, we're talking about employability, which I believe has to do with um, the capacity of getting a job and keeping it which is also very key because um, many people have the opportunity but they not just know how to get the jobs so we're looking at employability we're looking at mentorship as well as sponsorship so what are your thoughts keep the comments rolling dr Anna, how are you today i am very well thank you and absolutely excited that we're having this conversation because as you know COVID has really disrupted how we work, how we live. And we're at the point now, certain keywords keep popping up, you know, whether people, whether it's the great resignation, which I call the great awakening or the great exit um, for mental health issues or the need to do work that's more meaningful um, to being able to secure employment. So it's important for us. And I'm glad that we're having a conversation today on um, employability because what are the skills that people really need in order to work and succeed and have a sense of fulfillment which usually keeps them in the workplace and then when you talk about mentorship you know isn't it wonderful when you have a mentor that can guide you and help you grow within your chosen um, career field and of course sponsorship I know that you can speak eloquently to those two subjects given the the very um, keen mentor that you have had um, Nifemi. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this diverse and dynamic conversation today with our panelists. Absolutely. I'm also glad you could make it because um, you're a chief mentor yourself, so you're bringing your years of experience to be in this conversation. We have um, the BC Alamy joining the conversation and Felix. Hi, BC. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's really lovely to be part of, of this conversation today. And I just wanted to uh, add to something that uh, Dr. Amas said. Um, as someone who employs people um, in Nigeria, I'm really, really excited to, to talk about this, to share my frustration, but also to share the, the lessons that I've learned over the past six years um, that I've now, I think at this stage, I have about seven people that are employed under me. And it has not been easy to, to get to this point where I have somebody that has been with me now for the past three going to four years and being able to keep that or already at the moment we're recruiting and I'm reading CVs and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, so it's about, it's about that. But also, it's just not so much about employability, just that. It's about retainship as well. So how do you retain 
the best talents that you have in the in the age of brain drain and people are moving up. But it's also about the new uh, the future of work, right? What 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 does it mean? Do we always have to be in the office? Are we becoming remote workers now? What are the systems or strategies that are going to tap into the strength of um, the labor market in a place like Nigeria? So I'm quite excited about this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I basically exactly. I have to say I understand that frustration because so many of the Okay, to use this phrase, university graduates just don't have those skill sets and you're having to guide them and mold them and they resist it and uh, they haven't had work experience. They don't even know what it means to come to the office and to be productive or how to communicate or how to work as a team. So this is a very um, salient conversation to have at this point in time with everything going on. Yeah. Hi, Philip. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you in the, uh, in the family. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's kick start the conversation, Felix. So a lot they say have changed, you know, from the traditional jobs. Um, Ms. Uh, Dr. Amma just talked about um, post-COVID reality. Uh, but what do you think are those principal components, particularly when it comes to the ability to get it in our current reality? Uh, I think, um, um, like Dr. Arma said, is um, we have realized, I mean, post-COVID, uh, a lot of things are now possible. There are a lot of um, organizations or offices that didn't know that they, I mean, staff didn't even know that they can actually work from home. Um, some jobs never exploited this, um, explored, sorry, this um, aspect of um, reality, but with COVID, we realized that this is actually possible and it was even more effective as um, staffs were, as studies showed more productive working from home than even coming into the office. Um, however, with um, trends and developments and all of this in play, it's become more, I think more difficult for people to even uh, again gain employment because uh, the standards we are looking for um, or employers are looking for, people are not, um, uh, are not ready, like Dr. Obama rightly said earlier, people are not ready to get trained or to listen enough to, uh, like um, uh, BC said earlier, you, uh, you have to read through some applications or some uh, applications of, um, applicants to realize how badly, I mean, how badly things are, are getting. So people really um, are getting stuck. As not, I think I like the fact that um, where the conversation is currently going, I mean, the two topics of what we're looking at today, which say something uh, employability and mentorship, because uh, mentorship for currently right now has a, a whole, a big role to play in all of this, because people are looking at mental health, um, people are looking at um, this, this get rich quick um, scheme. Nobody really wants to work. So even those who are willing to work, the encouragement, they need too much, especially in our current climate, like our society in Nigeria, if we are to bring it home. So it's really not even encouraging to even to want to work. So the, the conversation is huge and it's big and it's not something like 
that can actually so i'm i'm actually like everyone excited to listen to this i'm more here at a listener today than just to because i, I i'm a startup uh, startup myself i'm an entrepreneur who's just getting into business so uh, i'm looking at mentors here i have my mentor here speaking i'm listening and i'm going to learn a lot from dr Aman. they see people who have done this and just learn and i'm basically here to learn today that's what i'm going to say well, Felix, thank you for joining us. You know, I do want to bring this caveat up, and I think it's important in this discussion. Um, the experience of um, employment globally varies, depends on where you are. In some areas, the digital age has been embraced and is possible. But when you bring it to the African continent and further down to Nigeria, one has to be realistic about the limitations that occur, whether it's the fact that there are not enough jobs because we've got issues of underemployment or that they do not even have the tools that they need to work remotely or the fact that there is still a cultural belief that you have to be in an office in order for you to quote unquote, quote, be productive. Um, but having said that, there's also the reality that um, working does require the formation of relationships. You know, you need to have a relationship for you to work. So making sure that you have those people skills, those human skills that enhance the potential to be employable is important, as well as having a mentor who will support you in the process of developing your career path and being on the right track so that you can have promotions, so you can you know, at some point in time, recognize that you've reached the zenith at some companies and you need to shift somewhere else to grow further. But I, I do think that there's some issues here that could be um, particular to the culture in Nigeria as well as beyond the Nigerian. So we, we tend to have a global view on this platform, but we certainly recognize that um, there's a bit of a focus here in terms of Nigeria as a whole. But I would like to hear from Bissy what his thoughts were because you know he's going through all these CVs and I've been through this process with the CVs. Everything looks nice and glossy. So Bissy, share with us what's going on with those CVs you're, going, you're coming through. Yeah, well, uh, before I, I go to the CVs, I actually wanted to uh, take up three things that, that you said that I think are very uh, poignant. Um, that is one, remote working. Since we started the foundation in Nigeria, we, we don't have an office and it was very deliberate. It was very, very deliberate for us, one, in the area of security, not for us to have an office, um, but two, I was very determined to change the culture of work right from the onset and with my with my um with my new business i'm using the same method i want to change the way that work happens and this was long before covid the foundation started in 2016 so long before covid i was very clear in my mind that i'm not going to have an office space so i questioned myself in a country like nigeria what what do i need to do i think the issue with remote working is, is of two things, right? And you said one of them is control. Um, a lot of Nigeria uh, leadership format is built around control. 
the ability to be able to see your staff, your staff and know that they are doing what you want them to do, which is about trust. Because you don't trust them, you cannot let them out of your sight. You, they, you have to be there with them. You, you, and because we, we build a culture, and it's a global thing, but the world is, is over learning it now, or is unlearning it. We build a culture of nine to five of expectant productivity. And we don't understand that. Maybe somebody cannot be productive between nine and 11 o'clock, but a person can be productive from 12 o'clock till 6 p.m. And that's okay. So the, the, the concept of the office hour needs to change. So what, what did I do to share my, my first experience? I realized that one, everybody in my team would need a computer. Everybody has a laptop. I realized that everybody will need internet. So we bought dongle for everybody. And every month we top up that uh, dongle so that everybody has got internet on their phone, uh, on, their, on their dongle so that they can use their computer to connect with it. And we are very specific about what we consider as working hours. And we see there is no fixed time of working hours. If there's a project that needs to be done, you get the project done. You tell us when you can finish the project and you get it done. But we put into consideration, you know, light and all of those things. And, and this is the flexibility that we can incorporate in Nigeria. Uh, I don't think this is a global thing, but I, like I said, I think that the, the issue is predominantly because employer, employers want to control. And because they want to control, they want to see what you're doing. And so if you're not productive at the time that they want you to be productive, it affects your own mental health as well, because you see yourself as a failure. And then they put pressure on you to say you have nine to five and you must do everything nine to five. But you might have an idea eight to, eight to 10 at night and you want to implement those ideas. I, are you being allowed to, or you cannot do that? And there's no sense of ownership from people. So you work in Nigeria, they don't even pay your salary. And when they pay, they pay you, you know, piecemeal. So you don't have a commitment to work. But in some cases where people do have commitment to work, they see their job as something that they are passionate about. And it doesn't matter, they can even pick up their computer and work on a Saturday or on a Sunday. It's because they have a level of commitment. And employers or leaders will have to rethink the relationship that they have with power and with control when it comes to management. Now, sorry for going on, on a rant, but <laughs> to answer the question around um, the CV, it was very interesting because we are recruiting for three positions. And one of them who happens to be a lawyer was graduated about two or three years ago, sent in a CV. And I was talking to my colleague there, our head of HR yesterday, said, can you understand what this person is saying? And we just couldn't piece together the English this person was trying to put together. And this is a law graduate that graduated about three or four years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm not one that, I'm, I don't have the best spoken English in the world, but I just, it just saddens me that the level of undereducation that we have, and, and we're competing on a global market, Dr. Dr. Amar, because I have somebody that I mentor in Lagos who works in tech, who is working from Ibadan for a fashion house in Germany. That is the future of work. It's based in Ibadan. He has his computer, he has his everything, and he runs, he works for a company in Germany. And we have to be able to build young people to understand 
that the world is open because somebody can be in their bedroom in London and be running a business in Nigeria and be working for a multinational business in Nigeria. That's the future of work and we have to be able to meet up to that demand. For now, I don't think the youth, the Nigerian youth are really ready for that. You know, okay, um, to see you. law graduates uh, who applied for a job. I think it's too generic to put every Nigerian youth together in one pool. No, I'm not putting every Nigerian youth uh, in one fold. But we have to be very realistic that the future of work is remote. Um, and the current situation for Nigerian youth in terms of being cultured or being, um, being nurtured, or I don't even know which other word to use for it, is that you have to go to an office, right? Um, and you have to be seen, and that is the, your level of productivity. But we are not going to also take away from the fact that ASU is going on strike. ASU has always been on strike. Nigerian, Nigerian students spend more time off school than they spend in school, right? And these are the people that are going to compete for international jobs. It is, it is not, it is not rocket science. It's not going to work because you look at uh, a 20 year old undergrad in the UK who is in front of his or our computer, who is answering questions at, who is 10 years, light years ahead of his or our compatriots in Nigeria. It's the reality. This is not a matter of, you know, trying to blacklist Nigerian youth. It's the reality of the world that we are seeing. And until something is done about it, the youth are not, the Nigerian youth are not going to be ready for international competition. It, it's a fact. You know what, what sorry, um, if I could just pick up from there, what Bissi is referring to is employability in the true sense of it, which goes beyond having a degree, having a certificate. Nigeria is very good at presenting, graduating students who have, I've said this many times, have the skill set to regurgitate what has been given to them. They take copious notes and they present it and the, the professor, the instructor wants to see what has been delivered in the lecture. And so they graduate, but they don't always come out of university with this skill set that sets them apart so that they can get the job and be able to perform that job. So simple things like teamwork, confidence building, um, critical thinking, curiosity, motivation. These are not things that are part of the fiber of learning in the culture. Um, it, they actually sort of squelch it and sort of diminish the value of being curious, diminish the value of being motivated. They, they don't think outside the box. And I, I say to many of our mentees all the time, open your aperture, look at what is going around you, teach yourself things, develop your skills, because very often you get hired for some of the external skills that you're not thinking about 
that you've put on your CV or somebody sees. And those are the things that make you a more rounded individual and more attractive to an employer. Um, the quality of the English, well, I, I don't think he's far off because I have been working with the female service students now for over a year. I've seen what they can do. We've had discussions. We've helped them to write CVs. We've supported them in opening up LinkedIn pages. We've supported them in writing articles because we want to support and sponsor them when they get to that level to be attractive to future employers. The, the, the truth is the future of work has, stayed, has changed. You've got to have skill sets beyond what you've studied. And we have to develop that and put that in place in the educational system. Many of our students or many of the students I've come across in Nigeria have never even had a chance to go to a job. How do you then begin to understand what it means to interact with others in a workplace if you've not had that experience except for a six month IT whilst you're working in university, whilst you're studying in university? Anywhere else in the work, they start working at a young age, even when they don't need to earn money. They do it as a way of developing that muscle that allows them to communicate with people, to present, to gain skills, to have confidence, to be motivated, to be around others, to grow and develop their personhood. You know, people are hired to do jobs, but very often when they are sacked from the jobs, it's not about not being able to do it or perform. It's about the other skills, those employable skills, those personal skills, those stress and time management skills that they have not developed. And so we need to change how we prepare youth and also adults and many adults who just don't have the skill set. We need to think about how we bring that into the forefront so that they're more um, appealing and attractive. And if they are working with people beyond the Nigerian shores, they've got a global perspective of what the expectation is. The expectation is not to come into your office and sit down and watch television you know, throughout the day and then move paper from one desk to another. That's not work. I was just gonna say, I, first of all, thank you so much, Ma. Um, I've worked here in Nigeria. I've worked in um, New York and I've worked in London. Currently, I'm, I'm doing two jobs in London for the past five months, been working remotely, it's still in Nigeria. And I realized that the motivation to work, especially here, is not there. And it has nothing to do with the Nigerian youth. Using myself as an example, okay, maybe not totally nothing, um, the blame it shouldn't go to um, 100% to the Nigerian youth. First of all, we'll talk about the culture, the environment, the background, how things are done, how the work environment is here. For instance, in the UK, when I started as, um, I just started, I think as a field worker, um, I knew nothing about the job, absolutely nothing. But the company trained me with their own money. And two months later, they realized, oh, you went to school. Can I see your CV? Da, 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 da. And then I was brought back into the office as a clerk. Three, four months later, I was made a care coordinator, which is the position I currently apply. Um, I currently, um, I'm working to date. And now in that time, I was encouraged. I was, I was pushed. I was 
um, where my knowledge um, was not enough to carry out to do this job, there's always someone there, the head, who's ready to tell you, okay, you know what, we're going to organize training for you. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. There's always this push to get you to your destination. Now, this is an environment that supports this, that encourages you. Now, back home, our environment doesn't really support this because of maybe maybe lack of um, um, employment opportunities. So there are always one million person waiting to take over from you if you are not uh, doing what you are supposed to do. So the Nigerian um, a graduate has to do double because I see us doing better out there. But when it comes back here, it feels like we're not ready to leave or we're not ready to do anything or we're lazy. But when we go out there, we do everything. Like you could go to a university in Nigeria and then you can't even come out with a two-one. But you go out there and you see people make first class and we know they don't play. So maybe the, the fourth is entirely not ours. Maybe it's the 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 um the environment or the culture or the working system. So a lot has to change and from the system and also and then there has to be mentors who are really or intentional. Like I have a mentor who is intentional, uh Peter Aman Boyo, he's intentional about my work, my life, how it grows, what are you doing now? What are you not doing now? You need to be with this kind of people and not this kind of people, you know. So when the Nigerian youth really have someone directing them, because I cannot be working in an office in Nigeria. Today's 25th. I just got paid from my job in the UK. How many Nigerian youth working even harder than myself will be paid at the end of this month? So these are things that should motivate someone. And some of us went to school picking courses that are available because the admission is not there. So whatever is available, the school gives you, you want to be a lawyer, the school gives you go and study theater art. And then you went there. You don't even know what you, because you don't want to feel like a failure, your mates are in school. So you have to go. And then ASU makes you do seven years for a four years course. So you're already feeling like you're failed in life. You are coming from a place where your mental health is nothing to write home about, but you're not even allowed to show weakness because you have to be an African. You have to be strong. So this, this course um, are not really, please, Ma, I don't know if you can, you talk, talk us through as an African, as, as personally, as an African you, what do you think we need to change or we need to do individually? I get your point, Felix. Um, um, I also think that, sorry, Dr. Amma, I, I also think that um, it, it's a good day for a podcast now that uh, I'm hearing that you're just in case. But let me take um, Peter Amman Boyle's <laughs> comments very um, quickly. He said this earlier. He says, I also believe a vast majority of people are in fields that they have not chosen or have passion for, but have either been pressured to study university or that was, or that was what the, was available at the time. Thus, they are not interested in pursuing that field of work. Um, I agree with um, Uncle P 100%. I remember that while I was in school, I studied agriculture. What I'm doing right now has nothing to do with agriculture. However, I think that there's a thin line between education and literacy. I think that irrespective of what you study in school, um, if you go through the discipline of education in school, it will help you to find your path, even if it has nothing entirely to do with what you have on your certificate. So I agree that many people perhaps are in jobs today that they are not passionate about, but that's what they got because of what they studied in school. But I think that it's because they are not well educated. I think that if you're educated, you will find your way into the field where you're passionate about. 
I never started yeah. mass communicating in school. And it's amazing when people ask me, how do you do it? I'm like, well, I was in school. So for me, education is not just what you're taught in the classroom. It's also education is exposure to meeting people. It's, um, it's learning new things, not necessarily what the lecturer taught you. I think that there's a lot of open-mindedness that is required for every young Nigeria who wants to push in. It is not your regular environment. It is not, you know, the standard. But there are many young Nigerians who are making it big in this part of the world, irrespective of all the challenges. However, I'd like us to turn this conversation to very pragmatic means for young people who are watching this. I've heard a lot of people talk about mentorship. I've heard um, BC talk about the new norm as regards um, virtual, virtual working. But I'd like to ask the question, how do we, how do you get mentored? You know, uh, um, a lot of people approach me in this regard. And I think that perhaps many young people are not getting it right. Bearing in mind that many of the sexual abuses that we have reported today in the workplaces are from issues like this. I'm not sure young people know that they can be mentored by reading people's work. They can be mentored by researching what others have done. Many people perhaps consider that until I meet this person, until I get this person's attention, then I cannot be mentored. This is perhaps going to help us clarify how we can bridge this gap of mentorship in this regard. I mean, I, I, I think you're very correct um, that people think that face-to-face um, -face is mentoring, my biggest mentor in the world. And I created a, a, a huge piece of public speaking um, content around I've never met him. I read his work, his works beyond Rustin. And reading his work just transformed my life. And I went digging for everything about him. And his words that he wrote or his, the videos and things that he said, I've become a major force in my life. And that's what, what I have become. And then you will see politicians who talk about, you know, philosophers or, or other politicians that have inspired their lives. And these are people that I've never met. Um, but for you to do that, you have to read. So <laughs> you, have to, you have to develop a culture of reading, which again, it, um, it's kind of scars in, in, in the context. And it goes back to something fundamental that Dr. Arma said that we're not picking on, curiosity. You see, the, the, you can never, you can never break the forces that the challenges and the obstacles you're facing in life if you're not curious. And if you want to attain, if you want to have access to, to mentorship, right, to mentoring, you have to be curious because that's the only way you can come out of anything that you find yourself. So I, I, I think we also need to be, for those of us that have the expertise and would love to, we also have to be intentional about making it accessible to people and letting people know where they can go to and how they can, how they can go for it. And I think another thing is that people also always think that your mentor must always share your worldview. And that for me is a big mistake that people make. 
And that is why some people would not go for some people because, oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a left wing politically and this person is, is right wing. So I, I don't have anything. This person cannot mention me or I'm a Christian. And in the context of Nigeria, and this person is a Muslim, so <laughs> this person cannot mentor me. Yeah. And that's what not that's what mentor that's not what mentoring is about, because you really do not have to completely share the same view with the person that is there for you. But you know that you can gain something from it, and you can whatever that person has to offer you will challenge you, and will make you curious about what you know, and in a way that will make you better. So. People have to know what is in it for them in terms of mentoring. People have to know that, you know, what that it also demands that they need to do something in about it. They need to be very curious. And they also have to know that your mentors do not have to be there with you face to face. And they don't even have to be alive. Read, be curious, and research. Absolutely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you said that. There is an element that I wanted to bring in very briefly. Um, and part the two things I want to say. The first one is networking. We didn't speak about networking, but the reality is sometimes you have to network to meet the right mentor. And you, mentorship is truly about a relationship. It is a relationship with someone that you see a spark in or someone that you wish to model a, a behavior or a way to get through to another level, or someone who can inspire and give you knowledge. So really and truly, there has to be the desire to build some sort of a relationship with another person uh, and have a keen interest in something that is tangible. And that can occur in a school setting. It can occur in the community. I have many mentresses, you know, and mentors, mentresses being female, mentors being male. That's just the way I distinguish them. And I know when to go to whom for what it is that I need. And I may communicate with them once a month, once every six months, once a year. But when I do go to them, I am curious about something and I can have an honest, open discussion. Authenticity is another thing. Be authentic in your communication with people, particularly those that you wish to have as mentors. Because if you're not authentic with them, if you're not truthful, then it's going to lose its flavor and they're going to be um, disengaged um, because it's not an authentic relationship. So it can't be one of those, I need this and I want that. There has to be a mutual, respectful and curious, that's really important relationship. Um, to Felix's question earlier about what can we change, we need to change the educational system so that our educational system in Nigeria mirrors what we see everywhere else, where mentorship starts at an early age. You know, the teacher that recognizes that the child likes a certain, or has a certain skill and encourages that, that is mentorship. A parent who recognizes as a child is interested in, in something that's different, unusual, and encourages that, that is a form of mentorship. You're encouraging that child to start to build that muscle. And when you go to university, when you're in school, 
do a little bit more than just reading the textbook that's given to you. Do a little bit more than just regurgitating information. Curiously ask you, even your instructors, how did you get here? What did you do? Or ask people as you walk around, what are you doing? How do you get there? It is unfortunate that many people are studying courses that of no interest to them, but it doesn't stop you from being curious as to where you wish to find yourself in within the workforce and how you want to live a fulfilling life because that goes back to finding the right form of employment having a mentor in that field and also seeking that sponsorship which helps pull you up to the various levels as felix has identified in his job he started somewhere they saw something in him they're supporting him and he is growing within his organization so that is absolutely um, important when you start looking at the whole field of employability mentorship and and um and sponsorship. We, we all should have sponsors because our sponsors identify in something that we do. They can seal, they can see the skill set, and they also want us to rise and, and move forward within that chosen field and career that you have. This is the Thinking Reimagine podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership, and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and value manner. I also want to talk about the whole concept of um, going to school um, to learn something different. And I don't really, I don't, and I, and I saw in the comment chat that no, no knowledge is lost. I don't really agree that what you study in the university is a determinant of what you become. Um, because again, Nigeria is a very good example why that is not the case. Um, we have so many doctors who are um, office slacks. And we have so many accountants who are um, who, who runs a chemist in Nigeria. Um, I, I wanted to study law. I ended up studying theater arts um, in the university. I did acting a few times. I've not acted, but I have taken that skills that I gained from that into another field in my life. And it boils down to who were the people that were there with me on that journey to help me understand that these skills are transferable, but not just that, they created opportunities for me in terms of their network. So I always talk about, you know, our network checkbook, you know, because that comes with mentoring. How often do we open up our network checkbook for the people that we're mentoring? Um, I just, I've, I've been assigned a mentor on the program called the um, European, Young European Policy um, Scholarship Program. And I spoke with my mentor uh, my mentee today, who is from Syria, and we had such a very interesting conversation, a young, vibrant lady who really wants to just do so much. And it's about, okay, who, do, who does she need to speak to next? Who do I have on my contact list that I can introduce her to? It doesn't matter what she's learned, because what she learned in university is completely different to what she wants to do. And it's for me as a mentor to see that and to be able to create opportunities and also to understand 
that in five years, she might come back and say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something else. <laughs> and it is okay, right? <laughs> because nothing yeah, in life yes. is set in stone. So, it, it, and I told her that, that it's, all, it's okay for you to come back in six months and say all these plans that we have are not the way that you want things to work. It's fine. So don't hold yourself back from being that. Just be free and explore that. And it's about, again, it goes back to the curiosity that you talked about, Doctor. Yeah, yeah. You know, Busy, I was thinking about something else as you spoke, and I, I realized that there are many times where people go into companies, they start their careers, but there isn't much development, you know, career development. And that needs to be infused into organizations because that is how people continue to have that sense of belonging. You know, if you start a job and you're getting the career development and you see value in not only do you see value in what you're gaining from them, but they also get the value from you being there. Um, and they invest in you because we have to invest in ourselves and we need our mentors to invest in us. We need our companies, our organizations to invest in us because that's how you get the best. And that's how you develop that sense of belonging. People stay at companies because they feel that they belong and they have their best interest and they are growing from that experience. So it, it is important to also, as you said, use your networking. What did you call it? Your networking book? You've got it. Your checkbook. Your networking checkbook. The networking checkbook. I'm going to start using that phrase. I use the word network, but I, you know, we all have a networking checkbook and we can go in there. There's also a bit of resistance I've noticed in Nigeria to using that networking checkbook. They feel that if they they network with you or give you somebody's number that somehow you you may not come back or that person will you know not look at their their work or all of that there's no need for that there's enough energy in this world and there's enough curiosity and creativity and really when you network you grow your your um you grow your brand and you also begin to interact with others who may not be from that field, but can add some value to what it is that you're working on. So networking is very, it's very important and it should be part of an employability um, skill set that people develop starting at a young age. You know, the, the equity and equality scholarship program we have. You know, the, the young ladies who were training to be surveyors, they're from all parts of Nigeria. And now they have a network. They can go to other people in different universities and find out how things are being built. They've learned to collaborate. They're learning what it is to have teamwork. They're learning to be able to define you know, what they need in terms of time management or in, in terms of stress, because, you know, all of those things can affect your employability skill set or how you relate to your mentor. But there needs to be a little bit more emphasis on that. Um, whilst we enjoy that abroad, it's not something that's um, developed for lack of a better word, in Nigeria. Um, and I think there needs to be more emphasis on, on that aspect of it. Yeah, I think that um, the conversation is, is moving from, is moving around quite a number of concepts that are very important. We've talked about networking, we've discussed mentorship. I'd like us to talk about sponsorship. I know who a mentor is, 
uh, I'm not quite sure that I'm familiar with who a sponsor is. However, one thing I've noticed is that, um, you know, networking is really key. Um, someone reached me recently, he had gotten a job on the TV station and then he needed a guarantor and he wanted me to be a guarantor. Uh, and I thought, why not? I thought it was just something, you know, minimal that I would just go in to sign a document and go. And then I found out that there were lots and lots of um, expectations. If he runs away with the company's money, I'm going to be liable for it. I had to put my name, my home address, and then lately he sent me a message that they needed a photocopy of my ID card. It sounds so much like if you do not have people capital, you're not likely going to get a job in Nigeria because only a very few people can go to the extent of putting their entire career on the line because somebody got a job. So I don't know what the concept of sponsorship really is. It sounds more like someone who can stand in for you and then, you know, make recommendations on your behalf. But how do you grow these relationships? You know, you talked about networking, we've talked about mentorship. How do you grow it to a point where you now have a sponsor in that? Uh, well, I would just say this. Um, sponsorship is the next level up from mentorship. You build a relationship with your mentor and your mentor sees the development, the process that you're going through, that you've, you've um, taken on new skill sets. You've been able to show your growth. And so your sponsor is then able to advocate for you. That's the key word, is that your sponsor advocates for you in terms of getting a promotion in terms of um, external um, opportunities that can come up. That's very different from what you're talking about because what you're talking about, it, I, I'm not used to that at all. It's not part of my purview. Maybe Bissy can speak to that. But sponsorship is one level up. In other words, you're working in a company like Felix's and he has a mentor and the person is you know, sort of coaching him, showing him how to develop certain skills. He now has a good hang of it and there's an opening for a promotion and the managers and the C-suite are in a room and your mentor says, you know what, I've got somebody who can do this job. I've, I've been working with them. I've been coaching them. They've developed this skill set. I think that they can do it. And they begin to advocate for you so that you secure that next level in employment or you secure an an opportunity externally where you can even go and represent the organization because they recognize that you've got the skill sets, you've got the abilities, and um, you're curious enough to grow and you want to grow. So it's, a, it's just one step beyond um, mentorship. So having a mentor, very often your mentor becomes your sponsor. And that's why How we talk about mentorship and sponsorship. How many of the mentees have made it um, to that level? Perhaps you can do a percentage. Are you talking about my new group of mentees or 
past many no, 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 no. Because... I, I'm talking about generally. I'm talking about generally. People, yes, I just, I was curious about finding out how many of your mentees uh, made it beyond being a mentee to having you as their sponsor. Can you, you know, give us a percentage, roughly? Well, I, I would say that probably 80 to 90% of the people I mentor, I will sponsor. Um, but, you know, if, if I don't see the dedication, the motivation, the curiosity, the personal growth or the desire to motivate themselves to learn the next things, I very often will say, I don't think this is going to work in the long run. But if I'm going to sponsor you, it means that I am speaking for you. I'm advocating for you. I believe you can do this. So I'm going to put myself forth as the person to say, very capable, can do it, You know, may need some more support. But um, the mentorship sponsorship relationship is very critical particularly in the job setting, uh, or if you're trying to grow your business. I mean, I have one or two sponsors myself um, and, I, and I speak to them, but what my sponsors do for me is very different. You know, my, my sponsors sort of hold the space for me to create because creating is important to me. So I can go to my sponsors and say, I've got an idea and this is what I think it is. And then they may ask me a question or two. And from those questions, I'll say, you know what? I've got to go back to the drawing board. That's what my sponsors do for me is they hold the space for me to, to create, to be, and um, they, will, they will just do their own little thing that helps me just go one step further so I can move forward. Um, Bissy, what do you have to say about sponsorship? I actually find um, the, the concepts raised by Nathan are quite um, interesting that you have to be financially, um, you, you, you have to become a guarantor for someone's employment. I've never heard it before. Um, I'm just hearing it for the first time. And, and, and I find that very interesting. And what jumped out to me is also, it, it goes back to something that Felix was trying to talk about. And it's about the lack of trust. I think one of the biggest obstacles to, uh, obstacles to young people um, having access to a lot of opportunities in Nigeria is because the people who hold power, the gatekeepers don't trust um, themselves enough to trust young people to be able to do things. So if you are already anticipating that the person you want to give a job to is going to run away with your equipment, then you need to check yourself and check that something is wrong with you. I mean, it's not so much about the person that is coming in. And imagine a very talented young person who has all the requirements to do the job, but doesn't have someone like me for me to come and sign some piece of paper for them to be able to get a job. That's how the person is going to be unemployed and will be struggling. Um, and and these, these are serious issues that, you know, we need to find a way of engaging with people that have the power to employ, um, to actually think through. Because what, what was wrong with insurance, right? You can actually insure your your items so that even when they are lost or taken away, the insurance company can, can pay back can pay them back instead of trying to drag someone else in. And when we talk about sponsorship, I, I remember very well 
when I was um, trying to, <clears throat> to do a conversion course and go back to school and study law, I needed to get a law firm that I could work with and they could sponsor me to go back to university, which means I would work with them and then they will pay for my school fees and that would be the process where I would develop uh, my career, basically. It wasn't so much about um, this idea of, you know, having somebody who open, uh, give all their life's detail for me to be able to get a 50,000 era worth of job that possibly would not even pay my salary at the end of the month. It, it's just, it's just quite unfortunate. And also, you know, uh, the, the, the whole idea, I, again, and, I, and I'm gonna say that I've never been in a position where I've had to, I've been asked uh, to sponsor anyone, but I always say that, you know, the whole the idea of sponsoring somebody, um, I don't even know what, <laughs> I'm sorry, because I, I, don't, I don't even, because I think the, the concept of being able to sponsor somebody will be, um, uh, will go beyond the words of advice that you can give to them. I think it goes to the realm of financial support as well. And, I'm, and I might be wrong. I, I might be wrong about that, but I've never been in a position to, to do that. And I can see that Felix has got his hands up. So I was just um, going to say that most times people are afraid to mentor young Nigerians because of the, um, I've forgotten what's called now the mentality, the, um, the mentality that your mentor has to give you physical cash sometimes, uh, which um, that's one thing I want to say. And then secondly, uh, the, the importance of the physical presence of a mentor in your life cannot be overemphasized. I know uh, Mr. B.C. said something about uh, reading about your mentor. You don't have to have you know, contact with your mentor. Uh, or uh, you can read up about them or, you know, follow them differently. But I think the place of a mentor you can call on or who can call you to order even without you even knowing that you are doing something wrong is very important um, in the life of a young or anyone in general. Like you said, uh, Dr. Ama, you have your own sponsors and, uh, of course, mentors who they do different things for you, you know, you talk to them and they hold up the picture and then you see, oh, I wasn't ready, then you go back. So it's the same thing here because I am, say, for instance, a young Nigerian, I am very qualified, like this is said, and there's nobody like, you know, I want to get a job and there's nobody like um, uh, an Ifemi now to come stand and guarantee me to get this job. So it will be a place of a mentor to actually pick you up from there. And there's no amount of book you can read that's going to actually pick you up from a situation like that. I had a friend who had um, a Canadian visa and everything. He just needed, um, I, I thought I'd forgotten then, just to leave the country to go study, but he couldn't. And I speak to you till today, we friends just somehow, I'm sorry to say this, just get him through, which I don't, I think um, the place of a mentor there with just a phone call, okay, you couldn't do this, let's do this, or you couldn't do this, let's do this. I was personally dressed to go out some, uh, somewhere right now. And then my mentor just called me. The conversation we're having is very important. As a startup, you own a business, you're running an NGO, you need to come listen to this. This is uh, what a physical mentor can do for you. Uh, this, this is what I just needed to you know, tip in. As much as you get a mentor in you, by reading up or following them online or listening to the, uh, whatever they have put out there for you to listen and learn from, the place of a physical, like a mentor you can call on or who is interested in you, who you are not actually um, 
having a mental a mentality that he has to give you money or this or that is very important for 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 us all yeah i'm, I'm glad that you may raise that point about money because i've noticed in nigeria that people think that you're a mentor when you're giving them money or think that the role of a mentor is to give money and that's not the role of a mentor is to support you in your development, whether it's your career or school development, your learning development, your educational development, that's really it. Um, but I, I don't know, I mean, I'm fairly new to Nigeria, but you know, the, as a global citizen, I, I have to be honest, I'm fairly new and I learn new things every day about Nigeria. I've never known anyone to stand like Nifemi is to literally um, turn over his uh, his his identity and and take responsibility for somebody having equipment. I mean, what's next? You're going to be giving them your passport and a blood sample. It's not done anywhere else. I've never heard of it. I'm I'm, I'm so surprised by by that um, by that. But things work differently over here. I have heard, and that that is not a that is not the role of a mentor. Um, and Nifemi, you in particular, I know you have a great mentor, um, and, and sponsorship is there as well. So that's fantastic. But we really need to work more, I believe, on developing this case for teaching people, young people in particular, because we know the African continent is 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 thriving with talent. But that talent needs mentors and along the line through mentorship, they will have sponsorship. It's, it's just an amazing resource that we have on this continent that is not being maximized, it's not being utilized. And it has to do with this underemployment because when they leave university and they have a degree, even if they've read something different from what they desire, they still struggle to have mentorship. And you can go out and be an entrepreneur, but how can you be an entrepreneur if you don't have the resources or access to the resources so you can get on with it? But um, there's just incredible talent on this continent and it's not being utilized in, in any way at all. Felix has his hand up again, and I would love to hear um, from Osita and um, Uncle P as everyone calls him. <laughs> It was Felix, just a question. It was just a question. My question is, please, ma'am, um, Dr. Omar, why do you think Nigerian youths do so well outside of Africa? Because they have opportunity. They seize the opportunity. They have people who support them, who value what they bring to the table. They begin to recognize that they have inherent value, which very often is not seen here. Um, and there is a chance for them to grow. They see the chance and the opportunity to be viable people and to be able to take care of themselves. The, the level of talent that I see in this country is amazing if they can just put it forth and put it to use. So it's about opportunity. They see the opportunity, they know they have potential and they have a chance with all the possibilities available to carve a niche for themselves and to grow and develop, really and truly. Can I just add to that, Dr. Amal? Um, because it's yes. not just, there is that opportunity, but there's a level of accountability as well that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, in yes. the sense of who is holding you accountable for anything in Nigeria? You know, nobody cares. 
nobody cares. But if you are outside of Nigeria, if you're expected to do something, somebody is going to hold you accountable for it. And you know that there's somebody that you, you there's somebody you are responsible to. And you 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 understand that there is that, that there is a carrot and stick system in place that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, uh, there will be punishment for that. And if you do what you're supposed to do, there will be reward for that. It's not that Nigerians are stupid people. No, whether old or young, Nigerians know how to push the system. And I have seen that many times from the people that I have employed in, 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 in Nigeria, but even more so for the people that have moved into this country. You will sit down with Nigerians and they will tell you, oh, this is how to do things, right? And they will tell, oh, just do it this way. Just do it this way, nobody's going to know. And then you tell them, but why don't you just do it this way? The way that the system wants you to do it, why don't you just do it like that? And it's because we always think that we can cut the system. And when we get caught and we get punished for it, right? We sit up. So in Nigeria, you, you're supposed to drive on a particular way. You drive in opposite direction. You, can, you know that you can always pay a police officer and you can get on with it. So what is the compensation for being responsible? It is not there. But when you move out of Nigeria and you know that if you drive on the wrong side of the road, they will not only seize your car, they will put penalty on your driver's license and you will pay a fine for it. You might even go to jail for it. And there is nobody you will pay a bribe to along the way to get you out of that. You sit up and that is it. So Nigerians see opportunities when they come abroad. They see potentials, they tap into these things, but they are also very aware there's a level of opportunity, uh, of accountability. And these systems work on carrot and stick. If I do well, I get something out of it. If I don't do well, I get punished. And I tell you this, the moment that Nigerians get on that flight at Mumitala Mohamed Airport, on Namdiazikwe, they, their mentality is changing already because they know that there's a new frontier waiting for them out there that they cannot play with. But the same Nigerians who have lived here 10, 15 years, look at them when they come back to Nigeria. They're the one breaking the rules. They're the one that don't care about anything. But when they come here, there's something in our brain that just like resets itself. We are so pragmatic. We're like chameleon. We can live anywhere and we can adapt to anything. That, <laughs> that's how smart we are. And I just hope that, you know, so many times I just really wish that this smartness, we can use it to better ourselves, better the people around us and better our country. I well, think this is, we have to, there's a sense to which we have to remain optimistic that things are not only going to get better in Nigeria, but that things are getting better already. And I'm going to give you an example. I went to service my car a few weeks ago. And honestly, I did not know that I was driving in the BRT lane. And I was accosted by this policeman who drove me straight away to Lamata. And between you and I, I paid 70,000 naira that very day. And I told my wife, I said, there's no way on earth, except I am dead, that I'm ever going to drive on a BRT. It was a painful experience for me, but looking back at it now, I think that it's one of the things we need to do to make our country work. I think that some people are taking responsibility for it already. 
even though we can say policemen collect bribe, but the policemen who arrested me, even after seeing my ID card, did not let me go. He didn't collect a dime from me. He ensured that I did the right thing. And I think that um, there are a few good people in this country. And if we're going to just remain optimistic, perhaps, who knows, we can get there one day. I believe that Nigeria will get there. It's a very unpopular opinion, but I live and do business in Nigeria. I'm raising my children in Nigeria. So I have a responsibility to at least contribute my little quota to making things right. I haven't gotten you know, the privilege to Japan yet. So I have to keep seeing the bright side <laughs> in Nigeria. So I'd like us to get a word from the CETA we have to wrap up now. Uh, hi, Osita Ridge. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, okay. Um, quickly, I would like to say a few things. Firstly, it was mentioned that um, most people think mentors are supposed to be sort of an ATM machine, which I think is one of the biggest problems in Nigeria, because the moment you begin become a mentor, um, with the poverty level in Nigeria and uh, needs around and things are really tough. Most times you see that you have to support people. And um, with this in mind, many people who are supposed to be mentors actually shy away from becoming mentors. Because if you get one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 young people that you want to mentor, if each of them have to ask you for 5,000 there every month, support, upkeep. You can imagine what that would be. So I think that's a big problem. But even at that, um, we all need to be able to um, let people know, let the mentees know that I'm not your mentor because of money. It's not about okay. giving you money or helping you out financially. There are connections you can make, there are advice you can give, there are opportunities you can show people that they don't even know is inside of them. And um, this actually makes people lose more because you want to get money from a person who can show you a brighter side of who you truly are. And the moment you mention money to most people, many mentors shy away. But I don't think that should be a problem because um, every one of us can be a mentor from a distance. Um, the truth is everybody's watching us. Everything we say, everything we do, people learn. So by default, we are all mentors. So we find a situation whereby most people go online and all they post about is their new belt, their new shoes, where they spent their vacation. And people watching actually want more. That's so, what's driving the number. Exactly. People want to learn more. So if all we do is show the latest hairstyle we have, and show how many shoes are in our wardrobe, we are actually not giving our best. Because just from a tweet, just from a Facebook post, you can actually bring out the best in somebody. There are people that might be depressed and they are looking for how to get out of it. And while they scroll through social media, all they see is a new car, a new shoe, a new house, a new mansion, and they're asking themselves, I've not achieved anything. So you find out that social media in itself makes people more depressed. And if there's no right balance of things we put out there, it's actually not going to work. 
So as mentors, we have to be able to mentor people that are distant. It's not only the people that are close to us. There are actually many, many people who can learn and who are, who are learning from us without we even knowing. The truth is more people learn from us indirectly. So I think it's just something that we have to be more conscious about and um, use our social media space to mentor people in the right direction. I think that'll be all. Thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, I think um, what you're trying to talk about is the entitlement mentality. Yes. I, I also think that perhaps in some other episodes, Dr. Amma, we might have to focus on how to, how to, how to be a good mentee or something. I think there's a rule book to engage in a mentor, uh, which not many young people are acquainted with. Uh, many people get the privilege and the opportunity to meet someone who can teach them something, but they blow it. Um, it's not about That's getting it. the fish. It's about learning how to fish. I'm thinking about it right now. I, I'm looking at my career life and I'm thinking of one or two people, you know, who have really, over the years, you know, have not even been mentors, but who have become sponsors. I know that my relationship with Live Abundantly today was um, a function of my relationship with Michael Fortune. You know, one of those days, I think Mike usually would anchor these programs and he was in chance and he said, I know someone who can do it. And amazingly, I just got back from what this hotel called now. I can't remember that this foster hotel in Ikeja. You know, I just anchored a show there two weeks ago. I was paid in six digits. It was the same Mike who recommended me. Uh, I think Nifemi has now figured out who his sponsor, one of his sponsors is. And uh, uh, truly the person that he's referring to, Mike, is also was his mentor who, as I said, you go from mentorship to sponsorship. Well, we, we've been on for quite a while and I see Nifemi is coming back, but... Uh, um, as Nifemi tries to log in so he can wrap up with what his statement. Um, Bissy, did you have something you wish to add to the discussion um, related to employability, mentorship, and sponsorship as we close? Yeah, I've actually found this session very, very, very interesting. Um, and thank you so much, um, Dr. Amar, for um, all this inviting me to be part of it. And I, and I just wanted to say something. Um, earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, I posted on LinkedIn that I'm, I want to offer uh, three entrepreneurs on the continent of Africa, six sessions of coaching, um, because I feel that that is also part of my own contribution to saying, I want change to happen, and this is how change happens. And sometimes we don't know that there's a place for mentoring, but there's a different space for coaching as well. And this is something that is not yet picked up on the continent. I have received over 10, I've received about 10 applications. And I will say this, right? 90% of them are from non-Nigerians. Um, maybe they didn't see it. I posted it on my Instagram link again, just only two Nigerians have replied out of about 10, emails I've got today. It also says a lot that is it that the opportunities are not available 
or that people just say, I don't know what this thing is and I don't need it. It goes back to that curiosity. And I just feel that that is the kind of conversation we need to be having with young people. Get curious. We it's need not to urgent 2K. I said it's, it's not, not urgent 2K. It's not urgent 2K. So, <laughs> so they are not interested. So, um, you need to explain what that statement, Osita, what does that yes. mean? Oh, it's not urgent. You need quick money. You need fast money. <laughs> urgent, urgent, oh. urgent money. Urgent like, 2000. No, no, no. To buy oh, 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 about oh, anything. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. I told you I haven't been here long. I'm picking up on all the idioms. So that's a Nigerian idiom. It's not urgent, 2K. Okay, I get it. Thank you for teaching me something new. So Dr. Oma, you will say, Dr. Oma, you will say, cash up me. I don't think that's ah, Dr. Oma. I get cash. it. Oh, okay, Dr. Oma knows cash yes. up. Yeah, so I, I guess that that's the issue. Um, you you have to you have to search for something sometimes for you to know that the thing is there. Uh, it saddens me that East African, most especially Kenyans, are the ones that are really sending in their CVs and saying, "Please, please, I need this." Could it be that? Um, could it be something responsible for that culture of being curious, be curious and wanting to grab things as they are available, compared to you know Nigerians that even entrepreneurs are just like you know I don't need. Maybe it has to do with who is offering it. Again, there are so many things still back. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. I do want to say something to what Bissy just said, the curiosity factor. We do know from studies that by the age of children are very curious. We've all been around children, children between the, once they can speak, even before they speak, they're already curious about their environment. They want to know what is there. They hear a new sound, they can follow it. They see a visual, they follow it. So we're naturally curious as human beings. And then at age five, they go to school and we start to tell them how they should think, how they should do things and what is expected of them. And that curiosity starts to wean. And by the time they're 35, unless you've actively been a curious person, you've lost it all, almost all of it. So there's so many people who are employed who are not curious. They're doing the same rote routine every day. And you have to be curious because curiosity is actually a currency. And it's a currency that's viable in the workplace and in society. If you want change, you've got to be curious about finding the solutions. If you want to develop yourself, you've got to be curious about finding the path. And that path could look, lead to, excuse me, having a mentor who becomes a sponsor. But curiosity is absolutely important. Without curiosity, you can't have creativity, you can't have innovation. As a matter of fact, busy, you can't even see the value in somebody wanting to coach in you. You've got to be curious and it's a big thing. Let's go back to the drawing board and get people, children, youth, adults, be curious. If you see something, ask, what is it? If you don't know, go on to Google and look for it but you can dialogue. As a matter of fact, if you're curious, you can engage in such rich dialogue that can lead to infinite possibilities. But curiosity is a key fact. And Bissy, I hope you will come back because I want us to touch on that word, curiosity. 
Absolutely. Yes, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, there's a lot of learned today from curiosity, networking, mentorship, and sponsorship. By the way, now that I can trace all my big breakthroughs to mentorship and sponsorship, I'm looking for a sponsor. Busy, let's keep the mentorship hobby. Don't be my sponsor. The karma. I am looking for a sponsor. <laughs> Thank you guys for being a part of the show today. Felix, Osita, BC, Dr. Ama, Peter Amon Boyo, I see your comments. It's a great show. Thank you for sharing. See you again next time. I am Nico Nibuze. Bye for now. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Doon Sokwa. Thinking Remarchant emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope, hope you, you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined Podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Think Thinking Reimagined, changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society. society.